That yawn sets the tone nicely for the podcast, for the, for the game we're talking about, to be honest. Yeah. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Steen Chicken here, joined down the line as usual by David Halchick, who's just finished a big yawn that I think has lasted since Saturday afternoon. Yeah, that, well, you say that, I think I think we <laughs> and you felt there are lots of things to talk about, but perhaps they're yeah, yeah. not based on <laughs> incidents in the game, which was, by design, was, yeah... There'll not sell many DVDs of that in the club shop, will they? Huddersfield <laughs> Town nil, Watford nil, and yeah, I think it's probably the most pleased you'll ever see a crowd, a journalist, an analyst, a manager come away from a game uh, that's finished nil nil at home to a team who are only sort of four places ahead of them in the table. I think we would have had this earmarked and did have this earmarked, particularly after they um, lost to Cardiff as a sort of a bit of a must win. But then since then, you've had the Leeds game and you've had more injuries, um, more absences, everything piling up. And we'd sort of glimpsed on the curtain. We had a chat before the game and said, well, whatever happens here, we're going to have to hit pause on the criticism of Darren Moore because this is not playing with a full deck here. Um, not as a Not as a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not a knock on him, but you know he didn't have a full um, a full squad to choose from by any means. Literally half the squad was out, and it's like, well, I think it was putting together the predicted lineup on Friday after the press conference. It was like bloody hell, if they can get anything out of this, that's that's kind of a, a miracle mm. done, you know, a, a win out of this. And I think he went the only way that he could, Darren Moore, that that very defense first, clean sheet first, five four one, and. I think when you're playing for a clean sheet and a nil-nil, first of all, there's always a risk that, and we saw it plenty under plenty of other managers, um, there's always a risk that it catches up to you because um, it's hard to resist a team for, for 90 minutes, even if you, that is your one and only aim. Mm. But I thought, to be fair, all 13 players in action for town uh, stuck to their jobs incredibly well throughout the game. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think... Um... <laughs> It was 43% of the first team squad was out and of those that were left, there was a couple that they're in the first team squad, Steve, but are they in the first team squad, if you mm-hmm. know what I mean? No manager in the league could cope with that, really, and expect to expect to get something. I mean, <laughs> if Manchester City lost 43% of their first team squad, they'd feel it. You know, it's it's... So it did become, when we were talking beforehand, it did become, right, can they put together anything out of this game to either get themselves over the line in a nil-nil or lose well. That was the other phrase we used, can they lose well, you know? And I think what was quite surprising for me was that they did manage to carve out a bit at the other end as well. I know Mm -hmm. it was quite a a flip-round, really, because Watford had, I think, 70-odd percent of possession, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we're used to lots and lots of games where town have loads of possessions because teams let them have it, you know, and could say, right, we don't think you're going to hurt us. But here I thought what was interesting was for all their possession and for all their passing and for all their pressing, Watford didn't really create much. And they didn't really create much because I think town, how many times did you see a line of five and a line of four and you shall not pass? And it worked. It worked. It was... We talked last week about one of the most ill-disciplined halves of football we've ever seen from any Huddersfield Town team. And here you had the complete opposite, really. A, a 
properly disciplined and structured 90 minutes of football and yeah even I was mega invested at the end and just wanted to get them over the line because they thoroughly deserve that point you know they they and they did look there were one or two moments up the other end where you could see they were trying to create and interesting that we had a game with this low xg etc and me and you came away pretty damn positive about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 0.1 for Town and 0.4 for Watford, mm. which is incredible. And also tells you nil nil was the right result. I think the only the only save that sort of springs to mind for Lee Nichols was um, one from the corner of the box where he was a bit unsighted and and it was swerving, but he mm. sort of pushed it back out. That's the only one I can think of. There's a couple of good interventions. Um, Tom Lee's last second um, did incredibly well mm. to get in front of his man and the, the Watford number nine and and head it away. Otherwise, he would have had a tap in, um, which would have been a heartbreaker because I think it was literally an injury time or just before. Um, but yeah, just it was just the the level of concentration, and particularly from some players who I think needed that kind of performance, and Darren Moore needed that kind of performance from his players as well. I think mm. I think he was the big winner out of this in that he needed he needed a performance that shows. Look, I do know how to set a side up. I do know how to keep a clean sheet i can get the players to follow my instructions it was we always talk about these kinds of games as a coach's performance but i don't think that's ever been more apt than than here just as he was coming under fire for some of the the Mm. selection decisions in the previous games yeah definitely weirdly it, it very different games very different results very different circumstances but i was watching him on the touchline quite a lot and he was very involved in that game there was a lot of adjustments there was a lot of changing people's roles just as individuals were coming into the game for Watford etc getting very tight going man to man at times it it quite it reminded me of that that West Brom game uh, that the Cowleys were in charge of. Do you remember where they basically mm. coached? They broke it down because of the drinks breaks. They broke it down into four quarters and they just coached everyone right through that game. It reminded me weirdly of that. But Darren Moore didn't have anything like the personnel that the Cowleys had to call on in that game, and they won two one. But I think you know, like Watford had seventy one percent possession and only nine shots. Town had five shots. Town mm. had two shots on target, Watford had three. I mean, that's a measure of kind of stale possession against a team who were actually pretty good in possession, the possession they had. Yeah, and there were a couple of openings as well. One where a nice move they put together where it got to Ben Jackson, they put in a cross mm. and there's just no one there to finish it. There's another one where Matty Pearson flicked it on for Tom Lees. Mm. And again, they, they don't show up on the XG because there's no shot at the end of it, but they were two of the better openings Town had. I mean, I think it's, it's worth running through a few individuals oh, definitely. Um, definitely. But, but but do we have anything more to say on Darren Moore because I, I think potentially this tough period isn't quite over yet I think certainly against Hull I think he's hoping to get a couple more players back he was talking about Josh Cromer potentially back obviously Jonathan Hogg will be back from suspension um, and Josh Ruffles back from injury uh, late on in this game David Kasumu was was close but didn't quite make it so there's a few players coming in there but it does feel particularly going away from home there is a, a and then the the fixes after that being Southampton and Sunderland which aren't easy games there could be a little bit more standing by Darren Moore to do and and I should say as well on that note I thought the fans were excellent um on Saturday I, I don't always but I thought the fans totally got it and and really rallied behind the team in the circumstances but do you, do you think that if 
this difficult spell continues, Darren Moore will continue to get that kind of support? I I would hope so. I think the next few games are, he's going to get a few players back, but you've got one or two who've been injured and need some football. It's not like they're going to come back completely ready to do 90 minutes in the first team and, and in top form. So I don't think we can sit here and pretend that just because he's got a couple of more names to choose from, things are going to be much better. So I do think it's still going to be trying to get what you can out in the next couple of games rather than actually sort of going for Mm. it. I think the problem, I think when you talk about Darren Moore and Darren Moore's position, I thought this game proved when we'll go into some individuals, there are a lot of individuals there that did things we've not seen from them before and did roles Mm. we've not seen from them before and did them well. Now that's a sign of, of good coaching. That's a sign of being worked on. So we have to, we have to acknowledge that. But I think you can only really still talk about supporting Darren Moore in terms of the the wider issue, which is I still think, Steve, that if Town... I mean, if the alternative is Town go, okay, we're going to press the button here and we don't think Darren Moore's the man for it. Okay, all right, well, you're on your sixth manager in 18 months. Your new owner's on his third manager in less than six. That's not the sign of a a well-run club with a plan, is it? And I just... I think, if I'm honest, I think they they need to stick with Darren Moore for the minute for lots of reasons and on lots of levels. It may get worse, you know. This may be a high point for the next couple of weeks, even with some players back, because that whole game is is extremely tricky. And then remind me where they go. It's another really bad one, isn't it? Yeah, it's Southampton at home. Yeah, on the other side of the international break, and then away to Sunderland. So. Which uh, that is that is three fixtures in a row. That to be honest with you. I think if they got one more point from Steve, I think in the circumstances we'd have to say that's not actually a bad result. Yeah. Because, you know, Hull are flying at home. They're a very different prospect at home. Southampton yeah. are Southampton. And I think the three demoted teams from the Premier League, unfortunately, I think you have to write off games against them. And I know one of them will hurt more than the other two, but we've done that game at Ellen Road to death. But. Premier League, ex-Premier League teams are just so far above championship teams in terms of their squad and their structure and their and how they play. You just kind of have to write that 18 points mm-hmm. off a season. And then Sunderland, who are a weird side, but the one thing they do is score goals. You know, they do score goals. And I just... It may get worse before it get better, but I think... It, Fans don't have to be long term. We don't. We're not telling any fans mm-hmm. what they have to think or how they have to be. But I just think at the minute, for me, until Darren Moore gets to January and gets some support around him and has nobody ever has a full squad that never exists. It's a thing in football, that yeah, isn't it? Once yeah. he's got a full squad, there's always somebody out. But when he gets a proper squad of players to pick a first team from, you know, in back end of January and into February, I think that's when we really have to judge him. At the moment, it, it's it's case of being patient and just trying to get through that that international break. I know we've said it before, but I think the more I look at it, the more I think it's probably coming at a good time yeah, for, on, lots time. Of, on lots of levels for town so yeah the next three look quite ugly on paper but let's let's just see i think a point from those nine weirdly would be i, I think i'd be quite fine but i keep coming back to something you quite rightly said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about darren moore which was there are ways to lose you know mm-hmm. you you need to lose the right way and they did not lose the right way against cardiff they did not lose the right way against leeds so if they played Southampton and lost 1-0 but played really well, we'd be fine. But if they play Southampton and lose, get done for five, 
that's yeah. not the right way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll yeah. see. It's yeah. I think I I agree with most of that. It's Swansea away as well, straight after Sunderland. Sunderland on the Wednesday, and then then Swansea on the Saturday, which isn't great. But I think weirdly that most of the December fixtures look winnable. To kinda, be honest, like they, they've got yeah. they've got they've got all of the mid table sides basically in yeah. December. Um, before they then have Leicester on on New Year's Day, and then the the, the we're into the the second half of the season. Um, from from 29th of December, but um. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it is. We said when Darren Moore arrived, it's just scraped through to January. And again, the results have gone down to eight again at the weekend. Um, and I think if if they can get through to the January transfer window with their heads still above water, then then fine. And I think that's all you could reasonably have expected. Maybe a little little. Given the injuries, if you told us the injuries that they were going to have at this point, I think is the most you could reasonably have expected. Um, so we're sort of. Yeah, are hitting pause on on criticizing Darren Moore to a certain extent at the moment. It's not to say that that is completely off the table forever, and it will come to the fore again at some point. But I think at the moment, I think we're a bit sympathetic to his his position. Yeah. Um. Let's go through some of those individuals then. Um. I think probably best to to run through the team. Ben Jackson, uh, my man of the match. We're starting with here. Uh, I know everyone went for Silver Thomas, who who wasn't far behind for me, but um. I thought Ben Jackson had his his best game in the town shirt, playing the right back role, which he's played as often as not this season, really. Um, but I, I think has had sort of mixed fortunes in that role. To be fair, he's probably had mixed fortunes in in every role. Um, I wrote a, a friend of ours came to the game on Saturday um, with my wife, and I wrote a little guide to all the town players, and I won't run through what I said about all of them. But Ben Jackson, <laughs> Ben Jackson, I wrote Swiss Army knife footballer can play anywhere never above a six out of ten <laughs> but I got a gate he was the first player to get an eight from me in the draft of my player ratings there are a few who got eight in the end but he was the first one I put that number next to I thought he was outstanding defensively um and looked a threat going forward but that little that final pull not quite there or a Watford defender would get across but very encouraging for him particularly given that town have a bit of an issue at right back yeah, I I really liked his performance. I think if you look at some of the stats sites, Steve, he actually these gen like obviously I don't hold much stock in these ratings because they're basically mm. algorithm driven. But if you look at a lot of the stat sites, he was the top performer on the day. I think who scored and Sofa score had him as talent's best player on the day. But what I thought was interesting was his heat map on the day is quite. Uh, it's it's just so right back it's untrue <laughs> and the thing about Ben Jackson the criticism we kind of had of him was A, you're exactly right Swiss Army knife of a footballer in terms of he's played a bit all over and as a result when he gets on the pitch he has this tendency to just sort of wander out of position or he, you pop up and you think well who just did that oh, oh it was Ben Jackson What he, what's he doing there <laughs> whereas this heat map is just a proper traditional. If you were to say, "Show me the perfect heat map for a right back," uh, this this is it. And it was that sort of game. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. you know, four tackles, fifty-seven touches in that position. I thought it was really good. I I think it's his best game in a town shirt um, by a long way. You, I know, thought it was his best game in a town shirt because I just thought it was his most. Uh, we're going to use this word a lot, but just his most discipline just stuck to his task really really well and who knows he, he, town may have found themselves an answer to a little problem for a few weeks in that position he's an interesting player because i think 
more than a lot of players that have come through that academy. You, you look at him and you think he's got he's got a bit of technique. He's got mm. the passing range. He's very athletic. He's genuinely two footed. He can shoot. He does have a bit of of everything, but he's just never quite. It's just been we've been spent, spent years waiting for him to sort of put it all together, and you just sort of hope if he can get a run in the side now, um, even if it is in that right back role, just to allow Sorba to push further forward, then or, or even a wing back role if they went three four three. You then, a, do you feel his? It, it's not an apt comparison because they're not similar positions, but I just feel every time I see Ben Jackson that just his ceiling is a little bit higher than a lot have come through. So, like when I see Scott High, me and you quite like Scott High. We think there's a midfielder there, but I just feel like Jackson's ceiling in his role is just a bit higher than Ben Jackson, purely because, like you say, he's he got lovely technique, hasn't he? Yeah, it's. I think he's got all the raw ingredients. He just needs a bit of egg to bind it together, kind mm. of thing. So give Ben Jackson an egg is, is my conclusion there. Um, yeah, or a bit of royal icing if you want a, a nicer analogy. But no, yeah, I yeah, I, I do. I think sometimes you get these players who seem fairly unremarkable until they're sort of 23, 24, 25, and then mm. suddenly something just clicks and they're suddenly... Yeah, I agree. You know, I remember always a Liverpool example for me but I remember Jamie Carragher like was all you know, played central midfield defensive midfield right back left back and was just sort of similar in a similar kind of way and was just sort of a jobbing player and it's like oh he'll always be a squad player but he'll never mm. be the first choice kind of he'll just fill in for whoever's injured um and then suddenly Rafa went no you're a centre-back now and he became one of the best centre-backs in in the Premier League for the next 10 years so or seven years so I sort of think I'm not saying uh, Jacko is going to go and be a centre back now, but you, you get my point. You know, sometimes mm. a player who seems relatively like, what, where is his role? What is he going to do? Is he just going to be a squad player for his career? Can suddenly become um, overnight this this undroppable player in a particular role, and perhaps that can happen for him. I think he's he's definitely got, as we say, all the tools for it, but it's just putting them together. Um, the centre backs, I think, we'll talk about as a unit, really, but. Pearson, I think, has been probably one of town's most consistent players this season. I think not playing against Leeds was was a mistake, as we talked about. Hellick, likewise, has had a couple of couple of odd moments, but has generally been very reliable. And Tom Lees is the new one in the mix here, um, having missed the start of the season, injured. I mean, I've been advocating for Pearson, Hellick, Ruffles as as the back three of choice, just purely based on the more recent evidence because um, I think that, that unit looked really good earlier mm. in the season and I know Darren Moore likes to have a left footer in that back line so I wouldn't count it out just yet but um, we know that those three on paper three of town's most dependable players and they were again. Yeah, I, I just thought with those three that we've talked a lot before the season, during the season, everything that on paper town looked like they have a good defence with those three, and they had a good defence with those three on the pitch mm-hmm. playing. Okay, you know they they just did what they what they do, and I think that I think Matty Pearson on the ball is perhaps not the person you want. Certainly, I never want to see him being used as the out ball ever again, as we mentioned after that Coventry game. But he does have his uses in games like these because he does just do as he's told to do, as he's told us both during press conferences, Steve. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought they were absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. I thought the problem they've had sometimes is when it's just been like the Alamo, you know, yeah. but they actually had players around them helping them out and they could kind of just concentrate on the the duties they want to they want to do really and it yeah it worked yeah i think if you want three players who will defend the width of a box yeah um 
they're, they're probably the the three that you want but they obviously they need the protection we talked before there's not a lot of pace in that town back line and th- those three none of them particularly quick um so i think you do need to have i and i think this is a bit of a feeling out period for more as well is, is he'll be getting used to the players and what they can and can't do and i think i think he is probably learning that if you give those three a bit of protection um on the counter-attack and on the flanks then they'll do the bit in the, the job along with lee nichols by the way um they will do the job in the box um as well as anyone in this division um speaking of defending the flanks yuta nakiyama we, we talked about had an absolute nightmare against cardiff and i don't think it was much better against Leeds. some would tell you he was even worse um we talked last week about his concentration issues i think that's a word that darren moore used a lot after the game was the concentration and something that he he praised was the way the players sort of paid attention and and were very diligent throughout the game and i thought yuta was was chief among those players i thought he did stay switched on um stuck Mm. to his job and even um and it's often the way, isn't it, that you see a player who they have that more disciplined game and actually because they're being that much more disciplined, it then allows them to have those little moments on the ball where they get the crowd cooing. I think he knocked it over a player's head at one point. There's another where he just sort of found two men in front of him and just went, I'll just lift this over the man there <laughs> yeah. and find Jaheim Headley. It was much better from you. He was up against Espreer a lot and Espreer is, a, I don't know, he's a weird player. I'm not, I'm not a huge believer to be honest with you I know lots of people are telling me he's he's as good as João Pedro was at the same time for Watford but he's very much a highlights real player for me and I felt like I don't know I it was the first time I felt like Utah had worked out who he was playing against and just felt mm-hmm. okay I can yeah I can do this I can yeah. do this no problem because there's always that element with Utah where you feel like he's kind of overthinking it and he's kind of worrying maybe when he just mm-hmm. needs to relax and just play football and yeah I uh, but I think that when you talk about the defensive unit, I think the thing is we have to sort of put it in his context in that you had a team who was really working hard in front of them yeah. as well. So it allowed oh, yeah. them just to, yeah, it allowed them to kind of concentrate on their jobs, which is being, in a literal sense, the last line of defence, you know, without consistently worrying about people getting behind, being caught square, yeah. being caught with nobody in front of that back three, for instance, shielding or, or helping them out. So again, it feels like the Alamo because suddenly there's just four bodies running on. So, but yeah, he he was he was much better. I think with you, sir, it's kind of, you've alluded to it several times, it is always concentration issues. And yeah, that was a game where he just, he just stayed in it, didn't he? From the first minute to the last minute, he was just right in that game. So more mm. more of that in the future, please, yeah. Utah. That's the thing. When he does stay switched on, he's one of town's better players. Mm. You know, he's, he's he's got a lot of talent. His technique is fantastic. Um, he gets forward well. Like, you know, this was very definitely, and you, you talk about that unit and the shape, it was a 5-4-1, proper 5. It wasn't a 3-4-3. It was a proper 5-4-1, which is always... Literally, it's a sturdy base. You know, mm. it's it's playing with the stabilizers on, dropping those wing backs back to be proper fullbacks. You, you're basically putting stabilizers on the team, which I think makes it difficult to score goals as, as we saw and create loads of chances it was definitely set up to let's try and get something on the set piece particularly because Watford's record on set pieces was pretty dreadful um but I think I think that yeah that that was a much better from from Utah um 
and we'll come on to the midfield. I think we'll start in the central midfield because this was an area that I think we were, and definitely Darren Moore said he was most worried about this and said it was the most problematic area coming into the game with Jack Rodoni out, Jonathan Hogg suspended, um, David Kasumi missed out in the end as well. Choices really were Ben Wiles, Brehima Diara, Roman Edmunds Green and Josh Osterfield, which, no disrespect, but it was they're all players who had something to prove, I think, in different ways. I thought Wiles and, and Edmunds Green absolutely fine on the day and, and were pretty key in providing that that protection that, that you mentioned I thought that whole and we'll come on to the wide plays in this as well in a moment uh, Jaheim Edley and, and Silver Thomas but they had a really clear line of four in front of that line of five and those two did their jobs as well as anyone yeah I, I, you know people know my feelings about Romani I think he's um, he's got his he's got his uses and I think when he's in midfield he kind of just approached it exactly as Warnock had sort of told him to do when he was using him in midfield last season um, and he just he just stuck they both stuck to it it's whilst his best work in a town shirt by a mile and yeah I, I think obviously there, I, I don't think there is a future in a Romani Edmonds Green and Ben Wiles <laughs> at midfield two but I think in this occasion it just kind of worked there was that tackle first half that Romani put in where he was galloping back there mm. were several moments where Wiles was sort of immediately turning on the ball and trying to take the pressure off by getting it forward but getting it forward into good areas and it was kind of a glimpse of what we want from Wiles really um, in a game, a game where we didn't think we were going to get any of that I think the thing about Wiles I noticed was that he was very, very tired at the end of it. I think that was a huge shift. And I think the problem we have with Ben Wiles is I'm just, I'm still not quite sure he's 100% yet. Um, and I think it was it was a glimpse of what may lay ahead and a, a much more positive sign because I think it would be fair to say he struggled since he's come into town and it was kind of proof that yeah you know there is a there is a player there and at some point hopefully town are gonna gonna unlock it and gonna see it um, but I think they just did a fabulous job in front of that back three really they they just as I said, they let the defenders be defenders. They just concentrated on being midfielders, which sounds ridiculous. But I think sometimes when Hogg is there and he sort of naturally wants to drift in and split defenders, and when it's a three, it, it can just slightly throw them off kilter. Um, so, yeah, it was good. It was very good, that. And I think, I know I'm moving on to someone because I think we both want to talk about somebody else, but Jaheim Headley as well. I've not seen that level of discipline from Jaheim Headley because he's he's a great player in terms of he's he's another one a bit like Ben Jackson I feel like I could just repeat all your comments about Ben Jackson sort of playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order but he kind of he kind of just stuck to his task again and protected that flank did try to get forward at, at good opportunities and did mm-hmm. get into a good space and it was like yeah okay that's that's kind of a glimpse of if you kind of give him a role you know and you give him set parameters I feel like Jaheim Headley is a player who needs parameters to, to kind of get the best from him and I just thought again it, it wasn't like a sort of stellar 9 out of 10 performance or anything but it's just that, that level of discipline and sticking to task again that we've helped everybody else behind him Yeah I, I think to Talking of, I'll move on to Headley in a moment, but talking of sticking to parameters, I think Ben Wiles probably benefited more from that sort of back-to-basics approach than, mm. than anyone, because I think 
one when he when he brought Wiles in, he was playing him as very distinctly as as that number ten, almost a second striker. And I think, as we talked about before, so I won't bang on about it again, but I think he he probably has struggled a bit to to find what his role is, particularly in a team with Jack Rodoni in it. This was a more limited role for him. By Darren Moore's admission, he would ideally like him getting forward more and posing more of a, a threat on goal, but he had to play sort of that more disciplined role today. But I think actually Ben Wiles probably needed that little that little reset of just do these basic things well and then we can we can then for the next game look at adding to that. Um which which goes to the whole team. But yeah, Headley, uh I, I think I think the reason he likes to play with a set of parameters on and maybe this is just a tendency to read in something that I don't know about him as as a person, but he is a player who I think needs a bit of who can struggle with confidence at times, self confidence. Um not in a he's very down on himself, but I think he almost isn't aware sometimes that he is yeah. the strongest and fastest player on the pitch yeah. and that he can just go past people if he wants to, that he does have that capability um, and that he can, you know, he's an intelligent player who once he gets into the final third will always look for that for that cutback or a venomous shot he's got on him. This was, I thought that the two wingers had a, a difficult job really because yeah. they were they were each doing one and a half man's job in that they were covering the flanks a lot yeah but they were also they were also helping huddling um both on and off the ball so one or the other of them was always coming to to help huddling in the press if the press then broke down they then had to get back and cover their help cover their flank and then on the ball they were the ones who would sort of again doing two jobs they would they were one or the other would come and drift close to huddling to try and get onto those knockdowns and make sure that town were he wasn't just standing on his own in 25 yards of space um but also they needed to make sure that nakiyama and jackson had someone to play off on the overlap and i thought it was a bit of a i would say a thankless job but obviously we know the amount of praise that Sorba thomas got for doing it so well but i think edley did as well and i, I think headley quite characteristically had a performance where he maybe started a little bit more tentatively and then by the end of the game it was he was you know you could see he had his he had his tail up and he was going for it and he it's unfortunate that he might not get it with with you to there and and with Josh Caroma potentially coming back but I do think he could benefit with, from a run in the side, um, probably more than any of the, the youngsters, but it's whether he'll get it, unfortunately. But yeah, he and and Sorba Thomas. I mean, what what an effort from Sorba. Yeah, the, honestly, I I texted you, I think, during the second half, and I, I said, and, it was, and Jim Chisholm, um, and said, I've seen him have a lot better games on the ball, but I've never seen him play better off the ball. He put in an unbelievable shift. And if... <sighs> If you want to go and see what I'm talking about, if you go to Sofa Score and put in Huddersfield Sound nil, Watford nil, it will bring up the game. And if you click on the players, you can see some sort of stats about them. But if you look at Sorba's touch map, his heat map, sorry, it's mad because it's it's obviously slightly focused on the right, but there's so much in the centre and on the left hand side, which was just as a result of him the the shift he put in trying to be part of the press and playing on the cover of his defence as well I thought it was um, I thought it was I, I thought it were brilliant to be honest I, I I know there were a couple of times he had the chance to put crosses in and he was so tired he hit the first man and there were other chances he had where he was on the ball and he lost possession because by the end he had very very little left in his legs 
but the the cover I've never seen him cover like that. I've never seen him cover ground like that in a single game. I've never seen him sort of there are a lot of times where he was rallying people as well. He was kind yeah. of playing as a default captain and he was helping a couple of the younger lads. You know, we we've talked about Sorba's defensive work before, but Ben Jackson was definitely able to play the game he did and as well as he did because of the work that was going on ahead of him from Sorba Thomas. So yeah, you know, he's had far better games on the ball, but off the ball I thought he was just amazing. I've never seen him put a shift in like that, and I thought it was the sign of a player who like there's been a lot of things said about Darren Moore and various players and all of this sort of thing. A lot of rumours. We're not immune to seeing them, though we we just choose not to believe them because there's rarely anything in them. But Sorba's performance was the performance of a man who was playing for his manager there, as as far as I'm concerned, because he reined in so many of the things that a make him a really good player at times, and b make him a really frustrating player at times. That I just thought it was, I just thought he was great, and he he deserves kind of the praise that was heaped on him. I, I think he's been like that since Darren Moore came in. Um, I think it's. Again, we, we talked about it after the, the Leeds and Cardiff games. He was alongside Jack Rodoni against Cardiff and basically on his own against Leeds, the player who was still giving that level of effort and that level of and trying to get everyone else going. And you can't overstate how important that is. For, to get a result like this, I think you need to have had him in those other games going, trying to rally people because otherwise all 11 players, their heads have dropped. And you go into this this Watford game miserable. And he himself said he had been difficult to be around um, um, after the after last week. But I thought it was interesting that the interview that he did with the club, and he, he didn't explicitly say it, but he basically hinted that 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 Darren Moore had told him, "Look, I think some of the younger lads look up to you." Um, as well, they might. You know, that was his two hundredth club game, which for his age is is a huge number. He's a player who's come from non-league and ended up playing in the World Cup in two years. You know, I think some of the sticks Silver gets sometimes. I think people can forget the the background he's had, um, the story that he's had to, to get here, um, and inevitably, when when you have that level of acceleration from from non-league to World Cup, I think you're then going to have a bit of a coming down to earth at some point. And I think he had that last season um but I also think Darren Moore is just a manager who seems to suit him I don't think I don't think Sorba wants or or I don't think a a strict disciplinarian is going to get tons and tons out of Sorba Thomas I think we've I think we've used this analogy before but it's a little bit Alex Ferguson gave Eric Cantona a bit of leeway because he was Eric Cantona and I think it's kind of the same same kind of principle with with Sorba Thomas um, but I mean, he within a few weeks of Darren Moore being at the club was talking about him as was talking about Darren Moore as a father figure, and and I think we you'd say it's a performance of a player who's playing for his manager, and I think we're seeing it in both word and deed. Um, and I think he's probably particularly with Rodoni out injured, town's most important player at the moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And he, I think, when players are back, if he can carry that form and that level of effort in, then we're going to get back to the assist machine, Sorba. I'd yeah, hope. Yeah. But for the minute just admire the effort is what I would say um, and I think that uh, Sorber himself knows he's the divisive player I think what town fans want it's fair to say is we've talked about it before they want to see a bit of themselves on the pitch mm-hmm. I think they could all see a bit of themselves in Sorber Thomas on the pitch on Saturday and I think that's that's a very good thing yeah it's interesting it's it's the polar opposite of last year where I think he was 
probably not playing that well, but was getting loads of assists, even yeah. if they were all set pieces. That you know, those goals were keeping Towns heads above water just about. The last three games, he's not had an assist, but he's had the best rating from the fans mm. uh, in all three games. <laughs> um, so it's almost the, the polar opposite. And it does show, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, the fans do appreciate seeing that. And I think the final man, who was a, a minor revelation in this game, particularly first half, obviously got, no pun intended, very leggy um, towards the end of the first half, to be honest, let alone into the second. But Carl Hudlin, um, I think, had more touches in the first 45 minutes of a game than any town striker in probably since ooh, Andy Booth. Huh. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he was... He was He's still, you know, again, another player coming from non-league. He's finding his feet. Um, but I thought that was a very promising performance because I think the 5-4-1 in particular is very prone to a striker looking isolated, which has been the criticism we've had of town strikers for ages. We've been talking for a while about how they don't really have anyone who can play that lone striker role. But I think at the very least, Kyle Hudlin had put in a performance here that has changed my mind on that. I think he can do that lone striker role. And I'd be interested to see him do it with Karoma, Thomas and Rodoni all buzzing around him, looking to, to get the ball off him. Yeah, I, the thing we've never seen him do, really, is play with his back to goal, and which that's what he had to do here. And if you're playing with your back to goal, you've got to either hold the ball up or you've got to win free kicks. It's as simple as that. And he did both really, really well. And I think that there's still a long way to go. Neither of us are sitting here thinking Carl Hudlin is the answer to all town's striking problems. Because in front of goal, I'm not sure he carries enough goal threat. But like you, if you could get players around him, if you had Rodoni doing the skulls thing, if you've got Karoma cutting inside and playing more as a striker, if you've got Sorba Thomas coming inside a lot more, he suddenly becomes a very interesting part of that because one of the things we constantly praise Danny Ward for is that he platforms those he plays with either side. So if Town could get another player who platforms players around him and gets more from him, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think... It was a good performance, as I say, with the, the limitations that he had. With And I think, as I say, Headley and Thomas did everything they could to try and get around him, and, and Wiles as well. But naturally, with the clean sheet behind the, being the priority, it was not quite at 100 miles an hour, shall we say. Um, but I thought it was very encouraging more for what it shows us for future games, particularly if Danny Ward is, you know, there's been there's a couple of players who... Darren Morris talked about as potentially being back, but Danny Ward and Delano Bergsorg have not been two of them. Uh, although we know my feelings on Bergsorg anyway, I wouldn't play him. But Hudlin, I think, has shown, and and Keen Harrop was missing for personal reasons. Uh, who's meant to be back at the weekend? But I think I would stick with Hudlin from the start. Oh, I would. I would absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Y- you you know you know he can't play the ninety minutes anyway, so you're going to get Harrop on. You can keep Harrett happy by saying that. But I think I think. If Town want to evolve from here, the the natural evolution without sort of in a in a way that will sort of thaw them out gradually rather than chucking them out of the freezer and going right, going defrost and, and risking it all sort of turning into a, a drippy little puddle, um, like they were before. The obvious evolution would be to, to move this five four one into that more of an outright three four three. And and I think that is impossible, obviously, without someone who can play as a lone striker. But I think Hudlin has shown particularly because of three four three, you naturally get that tucking effect with, with your wingers because it's the wing backs going on the overlap. Um and in fact, you could even get Jackson coming in uh, as an inverted wing back um, in that system if he played on the right. But I think Hudlin has shown that he can be a facilitator in that. 
um, in mm. in that kind of system. Yeah, definitely. And I was watching the defenders when he came off. You know, and he he got cramping. He was just feeling mm. it slightly in his hammy, I think, and he came off. And you could see an audible sense of relief. I think they felt they'd been stuffing rolls of wrapping paper in a wash bag for sixty odd minutes when he was on there. And they <laughs> were they were really really glad to see him go. And it's the first time, let's be honest, I've seen a defender glad that Carl Hodlin's gone off like that and I think it also shows that you know the cameos from the bench it's very difficult because his cameos from the bench are always at the situation where there's that temptation to go okay lump it long to him and he's yeah. going to win the ball and he he kind of isn't that player you no. know despite his size he just isn't that player and I think you saw a lot more that if you get him with his back to goal he's quite happy to kind of sort of battle and win and get those free kicks and yeah so it's it's it gives them another option and I think yeah neither of us are going to pretend that we think he's the man to come and play 35 games and score you know 18 goals and all your all your problems are answered but I just think as you said he may be very useful over the next few weeks to try and transition yeah. into something a little bit more than the 5-4-1. I suspect the 5-4-1 is going to come back against Southampton regardless. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how he'll set up against Hull. I, I honestly don't know how. I thought a lot about that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure myself. But I do think that it, it kind of... I think Harrett is really really good at certain things and not very good at other things and unfortunately the things he's not very good at are kind of things that Darren Moore needs at the moment from a yeah. striker so like you I think we go okay let's get 65 minutes of Carl Hudlin on the pitch and then we can change it and give them a, a different option. Yeah and as I say hopefully they've got these players coming back you know they ended with Brahim Diara playing mm-hmm. the last 15 minutes at centre forward and, and he's not a centre forward is he Brahim? Um So a bit of a thankless job for him but it was literally well who else can we put on he's the closest we've got um so again not to keep banging the drum but it's obvious they need they need players in january as well as getting the players back from injury but just uh just a case of getting there now um as we keep saying Mm -hmm. 10 games to go um 11 really um so yeah, it's uh, it's a long long time to go, but it's nice even if it's not three points to have a few more positives and and to have sort of hopefully put an end to that feeling we talked about last week of fans coming to games and worrying about how many goals they were going to concede mm. this week. Yeah, that that's exactly it. I'm going to use the same phrase. You know, if you're going to lose, they need to lose well over the next few weeks. And I think the other thing they need to be conscious of is the fact that. Rotherham and QPR and Sheffield Wednesday are giving them the most opportunity to stay out of that bottom three because they keep letting results slip away. I know we're talking just after Rotherham have got a point against Ipswich, but that's their game in hand gone and there's still a four-point gap, I think. So Town just needs to do their part and just keep plugging away. Get get what they can... I sort of kind of feel they just need to get what they can get at the minute. doesn't matter yeah. how they get it, just get what you can get. And the next three games are horrible. I think a point would be... <laughs> genuinely, I think a point would be an all right return out of the next nine, which is... It seems an extremely limited view 
and I don't like saying it, but it is genuinely how I feel. But then, like you say, after that, I think a couple of players back, I don't think it looks quite so grim through December, where we can perhaps move the bar a little bit. They're still going to have all yeah. the problems we know about. They're still We're still going to talk about all the things we know about. They're not going to score enough goals. They're not going to have enough creativity. They're not going to take enough risks. And they probably still will lose to somebody at least 3-0. But it, it, we can probably move the bar to they really need to get that four points out of nine again, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's your media recommendation this week, David Hodge? Uh It's a podcast, and it's called Ghost Story, but fear not, the ghost that is in it is a tiny, tiny part of it. It's about a um, journalist called Tristan Redman, who's quite a... He's a very engaging talker, who starts looking into his his wife's family um, because of a, a, a sort of ghostly incident when he was a kid that sparks conversation with someone and it becomes a it becomes a sort of bit of a who done it really it's only i think there's seven episodes six are out the final episode is next week but yeah i'm not massive on true crime podcasts and that sort of thing if i'm honest with you steve they don't really i think who wants to sit and listen to this but there's something very mm. engaging about this story and as i said it's called ghost sorry i am not into that sort of thing i am probably in a different sphere to those that are in that into that sort of thing the ghost that is involved is such a tiny part of the story do not let that put you off but yeah it's very good very engaging you do love a cryptid though yes i do yeah bigfoot love him <laughs> uh mine is the tv show no activity uh, which is all on iplayer it's an aussie sitcom um about uh it's well it's a it's a cop comedy basically copedy is that a word no okay um but it's the the two main people from Col- from college from accounts are both in it so if you watched college from accounts and if you haven't watched college from accounts that's also all on iplayer so what you're doing two recommendations for the mm. price of one there but um yeah that's that's mine because i think there's lots of people like yourself david who watched colin really enjoyed it and didn't know no activity existed or was on iplayer so no. top tip yeah i i am this is one of yours i am actually going to go and uh this might this might make up for your Gex recommendation the other week. <laughs> uh, and thank you as well to St Thomas's School for having me uh, yesterday morning for um, to to join Darren Moore. I, I say that as though I was standing up with him. I wasn't. I was standing at the back of the hall watching. Um, but um, yeah, that was uh, interesting. And and it's two and a half million breakfasts that the Town Foundation have served as part of their breakfast club, um, which is obviously superb. Uh, I know that it is. Not the most interesting topic for a lot of people, but I think it is worth highlighting um, this stuff because I think if if town weren't doing this kind of thing, um, you'd be asking why they weren't. So we're celebrating when they do and, and that they do. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>